It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frugal. The ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing. This shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it'll shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you. That meant something. Even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Furrow, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going. Because they were holding on to something. What are we holding on to, Sam? But there's some good in this world, Mr. Furl. And it's worth fighting for. Nerd stalking. Nerds talking. The passive aggressive guy with three names. Thank God for Jamal, the only one with any sense at all. We were only trying to have a little fun at someone else's expense. Welcome to Nerdstocking. I'm Bill, and joining me today, as always, is Chad. I used to be Gulliver, and then I traveled. We're still smarting from the lameness of Ready Player One. I, we milk more on Ready just, Player One. We're we did two episodes reviewing it. Tear that shit down week after week. It was so fucking terrible. But anyway. What did you say it reached? 50 million? I think so. 100 million? 20 trillion? <laughs> it made a lot of money. Did it make Black Panther money? tasteless people. Ugh. And I think one of the biggest problems of that film is the weak world building. So I'm thinking that it would be a good opportunity now to take a look at what that means and present some better examples of it in action. All right. See, like in Ready Player One, yep. you know, since we recorded the the two-parter, yep. I thought more about it. It's that, you know, a film has an obligation yeah. to create a world that we become immersed in. Right. That we we feel is real and three-dimensional. So that we can relate to it in some way. Especially important in a science fiction film. Oh, especially. Or a future film. Anything. Anything that, that requires something that's out of the ordinary. Yeah. If you're to leave the ordinary world, then you have to present something that is that we can somehow relate to, even if it's an unknown. Right. Well, you need a grounding, right? You're walking into a theater and sitting down in the chairs and you're going to look at a screen, right? And Or you're at home sitting on your couch and on your TV, you know? Sitting on my TV? Sitting on your couch oh. watching TV. Oh. You know, the when the movie starts or when you're, it starts on your TV, it's opening a window 
that you're going to look and you're going to travel through that window into another world. And right? you're going to stop thinking about it. The minute you start thinking about it, like, hmm, well, what about, you know, you've, they've lost you. That's right. You know, you're That's done. That's right. And you need, gra- you need to be grounded. You're entering a new world. You're in a new environment and you need grounding, right? And it doesn't need, need to be grounding that you recognize, you know, you, you'll see of that's every day around you, but it needs to make sense. Yeah. You know, it needs well, to all fit together. You don't have to be asking any questions and there's ways of getting around it. But you know, if you don't have everything working where it's either like we were talking in a previous episode about back, the back to the future films, they just roll along like a fucking roller coaster. And there's maybe pl- a lot of plot holes, but they do enough world building and like, uh, you know, in Blade Runner, the world itself is maybe the most important character. And then Harrison Ford and Roy Blatty and Pris and all the characters that are interacting in it, they're inside this oppressive environment. The environment speaks more loudly than maybe the, any of the characters. But in Back to the Future, they still give you, when he goes to 2015, they establish a pretty good future where it's, things get spun out, you know, to a to a ridiculous level that people would think, you know, I'm complaining about shit now in 1985. Imagine how bad it's going to be in 2015. And they realize that vision and back to the future. That's right. right. Well, it's, it's, it's integral because they have to say, okay, well, if we're going to go to the future, we're going to go to the past. What's it really going to be like? Are we going to bring people there? And you can't have like silly mistakes and you have to, you know, even though there's lots of like, there's plot holes, there's there's tons of like continuity problems or, or, or just historical accuracy problems. Problems, right, but put it aside. It's a built for entertainment, you know. Uh, Star Wars is is one of the greatest worlds ever created in film that was unlike ours. And the lightsaber is a hundred percent believable. We all love it. We believe it. We yeah. all want one, but yeah. it can't exist in the real world because <laughs> lasers just don't work that yeah. way, or whatever the yeah. fuck it is. It it's not going to work. Yeah, or where um where things really break down. Uh, as far as the George Lucas vision of Star Wars is, he goes into the prequels and then he has the fucking brilliant idea of explaining the force as metachlorians, like as a physical thing. And what that, did he do? He lost it. can be tested by a blood fucking test. Yeah. And that everybody carries around like a little diabetes blood tester, right? <laughs> it's like, and he lost us. Yeah. He just, he, he, you know, hey, listen, we've got land speeders that hover. We've got spaceships. We've we got, got laser, lightsabers. We've got laser we got, swords. We've got blasters, yeah. you know. Uh, we got aliens from all over the all over the universe. We all converge here and there and everywhere. And yeah. that's the world. Let's move on to the storytelling. Yeah. And And we've made it look great. Enough. But right. with episode one, two, and three, he goes back and he's like, well, let's talk the shit out of this now. <laughs> let's talk about the Senate. Let's explain Come on, it. kids. Let's talk about the Senate. <laughs> Wait, I'm going to start, you know, the most eagerly anticipated continuing trilogy in cinematic history. We're going to start off with a trade embargo. <laughs> yeah, it's just. I think Star Wars is better at building the mythology than it is building the worlds, right? Like yeah. the worlds in like in Star Wars, they go to a bunch of different planets. Star Wars is very much it has a James Bond template where Bond will go to Jamaica and he'll go to Switzerland. He'll go to St. Moritz, you know, he'll he'll go to all these different exotic locales. And that's what they did in uh, the first three in Star Wars. They go to Hoth. That's the winter planet. It's all an excuse to have a certain color palette. Yeah, sure. Hoth, everything's super white. First one was was beige. Yeah, sand. It's Tatooine. It's all sand and beige. They go to and the forest moon of Endor. It's all lush green redwoods. Yeah. 
It's all a visual motif that Lucas is like, I want green in this one. I want white in this one. I want brown in this one, right? He's just doing, he's, he's got his his color palettes out and he's trying to figure out. In episode one, two, and three, he's like, you know, I want to just sell toys. <laughs> but if you look at the world's like Endor, what's the economic status of Endor? What's their major export and import, yeah, right? They're a bunch of like <laughs> wannabe Wookiees. <laughs> like you don't. You know, he doesn't get into like, he doesn't really build worlds. He's just building visual metaphors, right? Well, this is why in the new movies, we've come back to that, where there's a thematic feel to each film. And the, the last one with the, the, the tattooing like beige, but the red underneath, it's the yeah. first one that had red. Right. You know, it's like, and that's ominous in Star Wars because the red are like the emperor's guards. Right. And so it's right. like, you know, they've. And that's when they were at the, they were the Heather backs to the wall. Right. <laughs> in the big round room, far as far away from the <laughs> from anybody yeah. who'd want to hurt their guy. Yeah. Okay, you guys are my elite guard. You protect me, right? Go way back. Okay. Further, further, further. Against no, keep against, going, the keep going. against the wall. Is that as far as you can go? You're hitting the wall? Okay, perfect. <laughs> bring in these bring in the lethal thing that my arch enemy hey, and hey. the guy that's gonna backstab me. Bring him in. Dan, Dan, can you bring in some chairs? We want them <laughs> I want them sitting in chairs facing bring the closer, wall. Closer. <laughs> Bring those, Ray, closer. Come here. Come closer, closer. So it's like, and it's not as bad as Ready Player One, where there's nothing about that world that is tangible, where you don't even have, do they work? Right. Is there a job? Right. If you don't work for IOI, what are you doing? Right. There's nobody else seems to work. You yeah. just sit there and play video games. That's right. And get into Hawk. <laughs> well, what's interesting is I'm reading Ready Player One. I downloaded it on my oh. Kindle apropos. It's a virtual version of, of Ready Player One. Right. And uh, I'm not too far into it, but even the little bit that I'm in, the first little bit is, uh, you know, a book is has an advantage. First of all, Ready Player One is written in the first person, so it's the voice of, of uh, uh, Wade Watts. Mm. It's written in his voice, right? First person voice. And uh, he's able to explain, you know, it's a book, so you can explain shit more. You can expl explain shit better. Now, it was Spielberg's job to visually make tell those, tell, the, tell those points, to make those touchstones of the world, to ground you in the world. But he didn't do any of that shit. But in the book, uh, here's the Oasis, and they say that the Oasis is, I don't even know if they said it in the film, but the Oasis is free to access. Mm -hmm. And I was still thinking, where does Wade get all his equipment? Because he's poor. He's dirt fucking poor. He lives in a trailer park. Yeah. You know, the redneck metaphor, he lives in a fucking trailer park. It's stacked. You know, it's like high rise towers of trailer homes, but still he's in a trailer park. How does he get his shit? And in the book, it explains that Wade Watts gets his equipment through school, right? Oh, see, that would so have been a neat thing to say. school issued. That's right. how he gets his stuff. And he keep, he's got to keep himself hidden because he's got a reprobate aunt and, you know, a, a, probably a succession of fucking guys coming in and out of her trailer mm -hmm. who are going to take that shit and pawn it. But right. he keeps it hidden in his hideout. Well, and, and we see that in the movie, but it doesn't. there's no explanation there's, why he goes over there. Right. It's all kind of laid out in the book. It's kind of cool to say that education... See, these are things that in the, that kind of future... And, it, and right? it runs with it. It runs with it in the book, explaining he goes to virtual class and they can going to learn about the pyramids. You're in Egypt because yeah. it's all virtual, How awesome right? Is that? And it's fucking brilliantly explained in the book. None of it's dealt with in the film. That jet, Spielberg's like, jettison that shit. No, and, and it was way worse than what Peter Jackson did with Lord of the Rings, where in Lord of the Rings, you know, he took these books, he... 
he had to cut stuff and he cut the music. So he cut all the singing, all the, sto- the, the sort of uh, uh, hero stories that were sung all the way through all of the books, right? The little Samwise Gamgee would make these little songs. And yep. The tales of, of Frodo. Yep. And it's like he had to cut that stuff. He cut all the gods out of the book so that you don't have the god of the the, the forest and all these kind of, you know, omnipotent. All you have is the ants. Yeah, that's the closest thing they, they yeah. touched on, right? But even they're kind of, you know, they're guardians as opposed to godlike right. beings. Like the there's in there's like a forest deity that in the in the there's a few deities that they they encounter. Right. So he cuts that, but he still manages to show us a story. Right. You know, there's still a, you know, there's still a world there. Well, he probably what he do is he cut the ramifications, right? He cut the book will spread into these wild, you know, very deep ramifications of what it all means. That shit you jettison in the film, I can understand that, right? Well, I think that he could have still cut a bunch of action out and and brought the the, the gods in because I yeah. think that they really they they painted a whole new sw- and they didn't they didn't need a lot of explanation. Right, they're just fucking well. Look gods. at the you know take the uh, take the lead of Game of Thrones. Yeah, where there's a there's a religious uh, structure there, yeah. right? There's the God of light and, you know, all the shit going on. Right. And it's not, it doesn't overwhelm the plot, but it kind of, uh, characterizes some of the people. Well, Game of Thrones is a great example because it, it has created this world and it is, is telling a story through conversation and script, you know, like dialogue. Right. Whereas it's not relying on full on full, full scale battles all the time, episode after episode. Like there are some great, great battle scenes Right. But they, it's, it's about more the Game of Thrones. Two people in a room talking is so much more powerful. Well, that's what the Game of Thrones is. It's not necessarily uh, soldiers on a battlefield. It's like getting in there and sticking your knife in. You know, there is, and this is the trend with, with Marvel movies now, for the yep. most part, it's that the trend is less talk, more action. Right. And Ready Player One is like, who needs talk at all? <laughs> Let's just give them action. Yeah, well, just every once in a while, there's this big brick of exposition that's dropped so the audience can fucking figure out. It's like what you said what about means. the, you know, the schools provided them. With, you know, it's like, I, I was wondering, like, is there no work in the future? <laughs> like, you don't have a job unless you work for IOI. There's no job. Right. Like, nobody goes to work. We never saw him go to work and then go play video games. Right. You know? In uh, in the book, it's it's alluded to that he's he's repairing old tech and pawning it. See? That's where he's getting some of his money. But he's dirt poor. He can't leave the school, the education planet. Ludus, I think it's called. He can't leave that planet. Uh, everybody else, after school, they all get in their DeLoreans and their last Starfighters, Starships and TIE Fighters and X-Wings. And they all fly off to the planets they want to go to. And he's got to sit there because he doesn't have any money. Right. But I haven't gotten to the part where he, you know, starts figuring well, this shit is, out. We talked about the uh, him going to the museum yeah, all the the archive all the time. It's yeah. like, well, why? There's no why. There's no nothing. No reason he's going there, right? You know, like in uh, another great film that has amazing storytelling and great uh, world building is Planet of the Apes, right? Where yeah. It, yeah. it has time travel, it has yeah. future, past, it has all kinds of crazy shit that don't make any sense, <laughs> but it works. Because the person who came up with this this look and this feel of this this uh, of this world was committed to it, you right. know. Like 
Is it from the past? Is it from the future? Is it an alternative timeline? And then you do what uh, uh, Tim Burton does and you fuck it because <laughs> it doesn't work. Don't overthink it. Yeah. You know, it's a world of apes. That's it. You've gone in a spaceship. A lot of time has passed. Is it a wormhole? Is it a time loop? What is it? Yeah. But some of the people that were in your ship died of old age. Right. Because you were gone so long. Right. You know, and here we are. Deal yeah. with it. Yeah. Well, uh, the original script for Back uh, back to the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> <laughs> back to the future of the past of the apes. Um, the original script for uh, Planet of the Apes was written by Rod Serling. Right. And Rod Serling had a very elaborate world that he built in his script. Like it's their helicopters and high rises and it was just a metaphor, you know, a, a very direct metaphor of civilization at his time. And now uh, take that and make it apes running everything. Yeah. Right. But the movie, of course, had budget restrictions. Didn't have a hundred million dollars to uh, shoot. So they scaled all that shit back. But I wonder, because Rod Serling, we all we all love him around these parts. Yeah, and so uh, check out our previous episode on the Twilight Zone. Yeah, and we've talked about uh, his involvement in Planet of the Apes and how even the sound, even the music was very night gallery-ish, yeah. Twilight Zone-ish. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it was written by, Planet of the Apes was written by a French author. And I wonder how much of that was in there. I think the Tim Burton one apparently followed the, the, the novella a little Well, I closer. have the book. I've just tried, I started reading it and I couldn't get very far in it. Yeah. Yeah. For it, no particular reason, just time. Yeah, sometimes probably. it's like that. Like Brave New World is almost unreadable. But, uh, you know, it was great, simple world building. Yeah. I don't know if Planet of the Apes is a great example of really good world building because they're just living in huts. No, but a <laughs> world building is not about you know. building skyscrapers and spaceships. It's about creating a world that feels real. Yeah. Right. Well, it had a, they had a premise they were running with. They ran the premise through pretty good. Yeah. Humans were yeah. savages and slaves. Yeah. And gorillas were, they were really relying more on the metaphor, right? Like we're the, you know, look around you now We're we are a planet of apes and they're just using that metaphor to like shove it in your face. Here's yeah. a pl here literal apes running things. That's what you are. You're well, the place place for that. And the with all the backstabbing and machinations and nobleness and the gorillas of humanity, were all, right? Gorillas represented different racial groups. That's right. Yeah. You know, yeah. In, yeah. In a way that yeah. you know, in many ways yeah. doesn't come off as racist. Right. But is also maybe relatively normal. You don't think it's good world building in Planet of the Apes? Well, fuck you. <laughs> Not it's going to be another original. gorilla conversation that's going to cause don't know. trouble. Again, world building could be a definition. Just what what is it? Like you're you're swaying me now, but your your point about cast the caste system and you know the more the morality of it and and the class system, right? There was a a mini series of comic books like Marvel did a Planet of the Apes comic book in, yeah. the, in the 70s and it was kind of not so good and there was a 70 there was like the TV show Planet yeah. of the Apes that was also not so good uh but in the late 90s early two I think early 2000s a comic book company called Boom did a few different series of Planet of the Apes the trail and I think I've got one of them that's you know Star Trek meets Planet of the Apes. Yeah, well, that was at, that was near the end. Yeah, that's right. We've talked about that. Yeah. Um, but they did a, a number of them, and they were just beautifully drawn, really well uh, written. 
Yep. And really interesting stories in that world, in the, the 68th Planet of the Apes world. Okay. Yeah. And it was just fantastic expanding it where you'd see the, the humans who are actually can speak. When we get to the point past the, the, the Charlton Heston era where humans are kind of building themselves up again and they've right. now regained conversation and right. or, or language. And it's proof that, you know, this is such a unique world and that it was well enough thought out that people could build on it. Um, I talked about Blade Runner. Uh, to me, that's a really good example of world building. Um, this kind of future smog choked overpopulated, uh, LA, right? right? Much like AI, that world, it's very similar. Though. Right. They look kind of the same. Right. Yeah. It's like our world, our future is, is not so nice. Yeah. Well, it's similar also, uh, to minority report in that regard. Like mm -hmm. the thing you always see in, uh, th thing you notice in Blade Runner, when you're looking at this world they build is you see, um, you know, the Atari logo and they have Pan Am and they have ads, right? Mm -hmm. There's an ad on a giant side of a building. It's a very iconic image used in Blade Runner where you see the girl, the geisha girl, and she's selling something, right? And there's Coke. Drink Coke and it's on the side of a building. Yeah, it's the Times Square of the future. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the whole, the whole city is Times Square. Just you flash with ads. And in Minority Report, it's always a scene I always appreciate is... Uh, Tom Cruise is on the run and uh, he's going through some mall or something and there's all these ads and they st start talking to you as you walk by personally. They're like, Mr. Anderson, try this perfume. You know, that's, that's his character's name. You know, Mr. Anderson, your, your, uh, you know, your credit card, this credit card's for you. And they're like, it just starts addressing you personally. Just like the ads on Facebook. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's it was envisioned in Minority Report where you're just surrounded by this shit. And when did that come out? Uh, Minority Report? You got to check your when, the, when did the book come out, I guess? Cause that well, the book is uh, Philip K. Dick, but it's probably in the 50s or something like that. Maybe 60s. Yeah, and I guess maybe those things, who's to say that they were actually in the movie? The movie's or, 2002. Right. And that's a long time ago, 16 years ago. Yeah. Were ads on on the internet doing that yet? I'm not sure, but another neat thing about Minority Report is uh, the way they interact with this. They have a gesture system. Tom Cruise puts on his uh, gloves and then he can like, manip he's looking at a screen that's, I guess it's kind of like, maybe kind of like a hologram and he can grab a hold of stuff and move it around with his hands and fast forward and rewind through the video that he's that he's watching. Which you see on CSI. You you would see on CSI Miami all the time. They had that screen. Right. To take it up, put it up here. I don't know if it really exists. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <It's> like, <laughs> I need a blood test here. It'll be like 30 seconds. <laughs> it's not like you're shipping it to Poughkeepsie and <laughs> waiting two weeks for, for the results to come back. But yeah, those minority, that was the highlight of Minority Report was yeah. that computer idea. It was like Lawnmower Man. Didn't that have it? But what's funny is we're talking about Blade Runner uh, in a scene. Uh, Harrison Ford has a snapshot, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a, he's got a snapshot of something he wants to analyze. So he puts it in this machine and the machine has a screen and he's like, zoom in six, four, nine. And it's a, it's a, it's a graph. It's a, it's a square on a graph and it, it zooms into that part of the picture and he goes pan left and pans left. He goes, zoom in 60%. And 
Okay, track left. And you can like analyze the whole picture and it almost turns into kind of a 3D thing where you can like look around behind stuff mm-hmm. just from a, you know, from a, a flat snapshot picture. It was a really neat kind of tech that now you, nowadays, you know, in Photoshop, it's almost like Photoshop. The, uh, you know, in Star Wars, we talked about the prequels. They, the prequels um, in the second one. Yeah. Number two, I think it was called. Yeah. <laughs> number two. <laughs> number two. It was the big number two. Uh, but in that world, it was very Blade Runner-ish. It was almost like paying a little nod to, to that kind of uh, sci-fi future. Right. Which we didn't see a lot of in Star Wars, but you know, it's when Anakin jumps from this thing, that ship to that ship, and right. he's zipping around. It was very Blade Runner-ish, I thought. Yeah, Blade Runner's are the Fifth Element, which is a great example of world building. Shit. Yep. That is so good. Luke Besson just made a great world where you know Bruce Willis is a cabbie, but he's a cabbie in 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 again. It's a city. You see a cityscape. It's not traffic on the roads. It's traffic on the roads and a layer of traffic going in grid form here. And then, you know, 500 feet up, there's another grid of traffic. Just <laughs> shit. That's right. Although, you know, now we, now we know that it, when awesome. that happens, it'll all be self-driving cars. Yeah, exactly. You don't like need my, a taxi like driver. Like minority report. Exactly. Where like I, have a, I have a chase talking about guys jumping from car to car. Again, is Lucas ripping off, uh, Demolition Man had self-driving cars too. At least didn't actually even have to drive their cars. Right. I was going to say Demolition Man, another great example of world building, except the idea of Taco Bell being all restaurants. It's fucking terrifying. (laughs) It's fucking awesome. (laughs) You know, and it's funny, in Fifth Element, Bruce Willis says the taxi driver is kind of like the taxi driver again in uh, Heavy Metal. Oh, right. You know, it's probably a nod to that. Well, again, and, you know, Heavy Metal... Based on the magazine, I think a lot of the shit, the Wellspring was heavy metal magazine. Sure. Right? Mobius Mobius is an artist where he would draw cityscapes and it would be layers and layers and layers and layers of traffic and whatever. Buildings on buildings on buildings, right? Big pipes coming out of the outside of buildings and going in again. Well, in the heavy metal in the heavy metal episode, I was talking about how what I always came out of heavy metal magazine with was this idea of I thought is it a boner? Well, that and and, and the the city street, right? Yeah. The vision of the city street, yeah, which was different from my city street, right? Yeah. It was like it was the, they were always cramped. They were always like, uh, you know what, you know, back alleys in right. some Asian city. They were small yeah. with laundry hanging places, and you know, but very real and very futuristic. You right. know, uh, shows like Firefly really took that they right. took that look and, well, and so made many, it real so many fifth element minority report fuck well uh, re- the remake of total recall yeah i think that they all <laughs> are like you're saying like that's what i came out of the magazine but all of these movies are i think pulling right from the magazine i think you're right you know like that because yeah. they created that look i think yeah pretty Be- sure because maybe before like I was reading heavy metal, I guess it was late 70s. Well, you've got stuff 80s. like Shape of Things to Come based on H.G. Wells. You know, there's a future there where the, the vehicles were all flying, you know, through the air, right? So it probably, there's shit that, lots of shit that predates heavy metal, but 
heavy metal might have just it's modernized it, just connected it between this crazy 1930s vision of what the year 2000 was, was going to be like, and then maybe a slightly more realistic, grounded. Yeah, but don't you think that heavy yeah. metal, what I'm giving it credit for is the look. Like the, right. the, the, the bring, cause I don't think that like flying cars, the Jetsons had flying cars. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. there's nothing new about any of these ideas, chariots of the gods and not, and so on. Yeah. But heavy metal made it look a specific way. Yeah. yeah. It's connecting it, connecting the way society was at the time to this future. And there's a link still. Yeah. Like, like when you see star Wars, and they're in they're in Tatooine on, yeah. on Tatooine, and they're in Moss Eisley, and he's going to meet Harrison Ford and or whatever. And there's that that spy with the the trunk, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Which yeah. I don't remember him from the first one. I have only I think he is only in the uh, redone. That's I another he, that's another movie I want. I want a Star Wars story. The <laughs> Snout guy. The Snout, guy. The snout spy. That's right. Snout spy. He talks into his mic. <laughs> the cocaine years. Again, these very similar to the in heavy metal, the guys flying the <laughs> ship. And they have the nosedive. Nosedive. Nose one guy's got a huge snout. But in that's that part of Star Wars, that's 1977. Now, heavy metal, I think, was already around. Yeah. But I don't think that Star Wars, in that whole scene, they wouldn't have, they, they didn't make it seedy. Right. It seemed pretty nice. Like it seemed okay. Like, you know, Istanbul and a thousand years ago or whatever. Yeah. Constantinople a thousand years ago. The, uh, but by episode, when they do episode That's two, a good, good point. come right back down to it. That's a good point. Like, uh, they're all very similar to like Baghdad, you know, the narrow streets of Baghdad, well, it was, just full of markets. Yeah. Right. Exactly. How many times you just go and like I was watching Krypton. You've been watching that show? I haven't. Fucking don't bother. I, I, Sherry and I got two episodes, three episodes in. Even Aiden, I started watching with Aiden. Let's watch Krypton. It's like, oh God, what a slog. But Krypton, of course, when they want to go down to the street level, what is Krypton? It's a bunch of fucking markets. Yeah. It's always <laughs> just markets. It's like Black Panther. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's always markets. It's like uh, the Arabian king. markets. Say so all we have is is <laughs> medical bay and markets. Yeah, <sighs> talk about shitty world building. Oh my god, Wakanda got a short shrift in fucking Black Panther. <laughs> None of it makes sense. None of it makes sense. Like you said, yeah. a lab and markets, and then some transit system, whatever. Some visual graphics, Disney visual, Space Mountain visual effects. With you have a lab, you have a market, and then you have visual effects. That's right. And so much talk <laughs> about the mining of fucking vibranium, yet yeah. no mining, mining of vibranium. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. should have had a bunch of like white indentured slaves. Please see our review of Black Panther episode. <laughs> I don't know right now. <laughs> you know. I remember. But, uh, you yeah. know, I think that but when, you know, episode two comes out, when they go to the street, it's not all sunny like a ten. Uh, where is it? Tunisia. Tunisia is where they filmed Star yeah. Wars. Yep. It's not some Tunisian market. Now it's it's seedy, dark. Yeah. You know clubs and yeah. You know. Yeah, cantinas. Know. Exactly. It, it, it places that ultimately you can't envision during the day. Right. You don't. You can't imagine what they would look like during the day. Because they would look completely different, right? Well, Tatooine, I think, is just constantly day. There's no night on Tatooine, is there? 
I don't know. No, there is because we see the sunset. Oh, right. There is night. He is You're night. right. Yeah. And that's where, yeah, that's when R2 fucks off. But you imagine that at night, it's just the darker version <laughs> of the day. Whereas right. those other places, those, those, uh, you saw one sunset, but there's two suns on Tatooine. Yes. Maybe so the other we, one never we, sun. Maybe never one sets. goes down and one the goes up. The sun doesn't set on the Tatooine empire. No, but we saw night, didn't we? Yes, we do see night. We definitely see night in episode two when Anakin goes back and kills all the sand, oh, uh, sand people. Right, right. So what yeah. else you got? What else is good world building? Well, uh, you know, like I said, I really consider Blade Runner to be a pretty good example of world building. And um, the guy that wrote the original script for Blade Runner, his name is Hampton Fancher. He's the guy that gave Blade Runner kind of that noir, Dashiell Hammett, you know, the Maltese Falcon kind of feel. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he, he, his idea, it's a pretty nifty idea is to take, you know, look into the future, but uh, you know, have it kind of like a film noir. And uh, when Ridley Scott, the director of Blade Runner, when he was uh, working with uh, Fancher on the script, he's always like Fancher wrote it as kind of a chamber drama where just, these scenes, you know, noirish scenes of like, you know, Bogey and Sydney Green Street or whatever, like, you know, trying to figure out, you know, this mystery. Uh, Ridley Scott was always like, what's going on outside the window? He was always looking more at the world, like what's happening in the wider world? What's it like outside the window? And this guy wasn't interested in that shit. But when um, they brought back, they brought in David Peoples to, to help with the script and they kind of blew it open where they examine more of the world of Blade Runner, the, this future LA and, um, really Scott, of course, visualized it all brilliantly. He made this great, he made this great visual world in the movie. I will, I'll agree that Blade Runner has a great world building, but I still stand by my opinion that it also sucked that movie. (laughs) I don't know. I love Blade Runner. Have you seen, have you seen the new one? No. You know, I fucking never got around to it. You know what makes makes my uh my dislike of blade runner even greater what's that is when we went to see uh what's his name douglas trumbull trumbull did the effects yep it was a great i, I really enjoyed that that was great great little speech that he did yeah. or speaking that he did yeah and then we all went, walked over to go see blade runner yeah and they played this was it a belgian movie or a, i think it's french french la, la jete right I fucking hated it so much. It fucking, it, it affected me at a, at a subconscious physical level for weeks. Now, I don't know if that's a testament to the greatness of it or the, the putrid quality of it, but it, it's all, it's a, it's a short, short film told in stills. There's no motion. It's there is. All, there's like a one, there's yeah, one or yeah. two little video bits, but mostly yeah. just one picture. Click, 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 yeah, click, click. Yeah, it's like click. all in stills almost. Yeah. And it, it it affected me for weeks. <laughs> it's what 12 Monkeys was based on. Is it? It tells the same story. I felt like I'd fucking the guy, 12 Monkeys. Uh, it's a guy in a dystopian wrecked future who goes, he gets sent back to try to figure out what the plague was that destroyed the world. And uh, he ends up, seeing himself as a kid, right? It's just the weird, again, time travel, weird time travel. Uh, and not good world function. building. Yeah. La Jete. Just he's at the Charles de Gaulle airport because he, he, his end is met on a 
la jete means just, just means the jet way, right? Runway. The the walkway where you get onto the plane. Yeah, I hated it. <laughs> so everybody then, go yeah. see la jete. YouTube that shit. You will. It, it, it's like <laughs> it's like the Sufis say, the Sufi mystics say that words contain their meaning. Right? So you finally did it. I was wondering when you're going to work the <laughs> Sufi mystics into Sufism. the Sufism. Sufism. Just sit on the sofa, and watch TV. Right. I'm into that shit. Sufis. Sufis. The Sufis. Sufis choice. choice? Sufis, Sufis choice. choice. <laughs> what is a Sufis choice, Aiden? Uh, Aiden, I call you Aiden. What the, yeah, that Aiden's my son. What does that mean? <laughs> Means you're just used to saying it. I keep calling the cat Holden. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call my son Guinness. <laughs> Guinness, make your bed. <laughs> Holden, use a litter box. <laughs> uh, Holden, didn't I feed you already yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Nobody, nobody's going to know who Holden is, Chad. Come on. They don't know which don't one's my cat and which one's my kid. <laughs> One of them is Guinness, and one. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's a cool name for a kid, Guinness. That's pretty cool. Sure. If you were a drunken Irishman, <laughs> Guinness, um, get me some Guinness. I'm gonna go pick up some Guinness from the school. <laughs> um, I don't even know what we were talking about now. Well, uh, kind of a lousy uh, example of world building is Tron. Even though I very much like the film. I'm always wondering if maybe this more, it's one of those things where it's more nostalgic to think back. Oh, the good old days. Tron, I think as a whole is kind of a shitty film, <laughs> but I still kind of like it. Yeah. But it's not, is it, it's not really world building. Well, totally it's world building. Cause Jeff Bridges gets, uh, he's a programmer, gets sucked into the computer world and they got to build a computer world. They're, he's in a new world and we're in there with them, but they do a shit job because yep. none of it makes any sense. Like, what are they doing? What's this? You know, there's got to be a workflow in a, in world building, right? Like not necessarily like you can make a movie maybe where you're not really dealing too much with the workflow. Like how, how does shit work? But Tron is like, it's all super vague. Like there's programs and they fight other programs and why? But it's and like what you said about arch- you know, at one point. Sorry, at one point, um, an uh, an accounting program has to fight uh, Jeff Bridges, who's not a program; he's a user that's been sucked into it. But like the accountant programs have to fight, and they try. The problem is they try to a certain extent to make a world, but it just it doesn't make any sense. There's no way. There's no grounding like we were talking about. You're not grounded. Here's what's happened. Here's, you know, uh, world building is, is exposition without dialogue, right? We're complaining about uh, ready player one, where they have to stop and explain shit to people that should already know what you're talking about. And world building takes care of that to a certain extent. It explains a lot of shit. It explains the motivations of the character. Why would this guy and this guy fight? Here's a big fight scene where they're throwing discs at each other and one gets whacked and he falls to his death. But you're wondering why does that happen? What's the workflow? Why these programs have to go in and sacrifice themselves or fight or whatever, right? Well, it's the need, right? It's like when uh, I renovated my kitchen, the original architectural plans had these floating shelves 
all across one wall. Mm-hmm. I think there was uh, tw- uh, 24 of them all together. Right. And we installed them all. And I was like, well, what am I going to put on those shelves? <laughs> you, had to you, pra- you had to come, you had to all of a sudden approach the practicality of yeah. it. Right. And so in, in, in the, in the end, that's the way I approached the entire construction of the kitchen, which is the way I write scripts too. Right. It's like, well, what is, what's the point of this? Right. You know, what thing am I going to put on that shelf? Or is that now just a shelf that now is a burden to me as right. opposed to helpful? Right. Right. So we removed six of the six of the 12. So now we have six shelves and that's it. And they're great. And the other ones, now we have open space. It's great. Do you ever feel you want, we should have those extra shelves? Never, not once. Because right. I also have a crap load of cupboards. But, <laughs> you know, it's like what you said about Ridley Scott. It's yeah. like, what's outside the window? Yeah. You know, and that's what Tron doesn't do. It's one scene, one scene, one scene. Right. And you can say the the scenes are interconnected because the, the story is, it's a series of challenges that right. have to be faced. Right. But outside of that, Every scene, nothing is going on. Right. That's and exactly therefore, right. there's no building of anything. It's a series of, of, of uh, scenes directly rated to the way video games once were. Right. You know, Space Invaders, there are stage after right. stage after yeah. stage, but one doesn't mean anything to the next except slowly getting more difficult. Right. And every once in a while you see somebody playing the video game and they make the analogy, right? You're looking at us, you're playing an arcade game on a screen and then you zoom in and then there's the Tron world, you know, brilliantly realized in 1982, uh, you know, with graphics and they had computer effects back then and they had neon lights, black light, yeah, black light, like crazy, right? Very Nicely looking, interesting, you know, visual uh, effects. But then in service of what? There's nothing there. I think that's what ultimately probably tanked Tron was that there just isn't anything there. Like, why? Yeah. To a certain extent, you got to answer that question. Not metachlorians, you know, (laughs) Lucas went too far with that. But there has to be a question why. And they kind of do it like the MCP, this big master program is like taking over and he's making them fight, but that's just not enough. Like why? There's still a question. Why? And a certain extent in ready player one or whatever, you have to answer that question. Why? To a certain extent. And in Tron, it's not, there's nothing there. Like, But yet it's still more, there's more world building in Tron than ready, ready player, player one. one at which you know, appropriates Tron imagery. Like it appropriates every fucking yeah. part of our youth in a service of a hollow story that means nothing. Yep. Except look at that. Look at that. Look at that. It's like, where's Waldo? Yeah. Look at that. Oh, oh look at did that. you see this? Oh, you get it. It's the Steven Spielberg's where's Waldo movie. And go read up on, on the internet. <laughs> and then go to the fucking internet. <laughs> go to the what internet. You missed. Don't get any sense or enjoyment at the film. No, the, the, all this, all this sense of enjoyment comes later when you fucking go on to Google. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look. Oh, you know what else was in there? I did that. I was like, oh, you know what? Here's the list of cars. Some that you saw, some that you didn't. My God. It's like you look away <laughs> and you miss like a decade's worth of like intellectual properties. Yeah. Which is the point of the film. So you just missed, you know, 10% of the point of the film. That's right. <laughs> Not good. Not good. Preach it from the mountaintops, people. It's a terrible movie. Don't yeah. stop. Don't watch stop, it on Netflix. Stop giving them money. Jesus Christ. 
Um, do watch it on your Android box. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. No, don't even. <laughs> don't even. <laughs> don't even watch time. it for free. It's a t- it's wasted time. Watch Baywatch. Yeah, it's way better to watch. But the original series, not the sh- no, no, the new movie, not the, <laughs> the original series, not to be watched. Go Another ahead. good uh, example of world building for me. This will be my last example. I think is um, Alien, the Alien films, which we did an episode on. The a story is a, it's a haunted. It's it's either you know with the way, depending on how you look at it, it's either a haunted house story or it's a story that's a metaphor for Vietnam, right? Where there's an alien and it's just picking off people left and right. And you can't really see the enemy and, and everyone's getting killed one by one. Why? Well, you know, people are on the spaceship, but why? And they deal with it in a nice, you know, they're hauling ore from, you know, the outer rim of the galaxy and they're bringing this ore in and they're just workers. They're truckers pretty much. They're hauling this ore and then they're given this, these instructions by the company they're saying, go investigate this thing. And the company has, you know, uh, a, a bigger agenda. They're sacrificing these people to try to recover this alien, which they feel it can maybe weaponize, right? Mm-hmm. And all that shit is alluded to and uh, referenced and used in the, in the alien films. And it's really great. It really grounds it. There's people, alien and aliens are both the same. They're... Po- the people are pawns in this bigger game that's being played, but it still equates to a bunch of people running from bloodthirsty aliens that are going to rip them apart. But there's this revolving mythology, which I think you might not be researching and really figure out what the Wayland Utani company is and, you know, what their motivations might be, but it still is part of this world that they build, that they put the characters in to be eaten by these aliens. Right. Right. I think that's enough world building for one night. On behalf of Chad, I'd like to invite you to uh, help build up the nerd stocking world by rating and subscribing to this podcast on your listening platform of choice. Subscribe to our awesome YouTube channel. Absolutely. Yeah. Where we're building a world of great short videos. Everyone has an Easter egg that you have to find. (laughs) Yeah. And you won't really enjoy the movie itself, but, you know, the enjoyment comes (laughs) when you go on to fucking YouTube and try to figure it out, what it all means. And if you want to drop us a line, uh, maybe give us uh, your favorite example of a great world-building film, you can send feedback to nerds at nerdstocking.com. You can also head on over to our website at nerdstocking.com for an archive of our past shows You can also check out our social media feeds over there. And with that, I will say good night and goodbye.